All right. Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. This is episode 39. I'm your host, Jim R. And today we have Ashley S. joining us. How are you doing this morning, Ashley? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited for our interview. Me um, too. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I guess maybe you start off with uh, your childhood. Um, I had a pretty normal childhood. Um, great parents, you know, everything going for me, set up for success. Um, didn't really go down any bad roads. Um, no trauma to speak of or anything like that. Um, just a pretty great childhood overall. That's good. You, you don't hear that a lot. You had both parents, I'm assuming? Yes. What did your parents do for a living? Uh, my mom is a dietitian and my dad had his own business. Okay. So at what age did you first start using? Um, I first tried drugs when I was about 16. Um, I didn't use on a regular, like, hardcore basis until I was in my 20s what was the reason for trying it when you were 16 was it peer pressure or yeah just you know at a party just doing what everybody else was doing being a kid yeah so how was your childhood growing up as far as school and friends and all that great stuff it was good. Um, always made good grades. Um, had a lot of friends, played a lot of sports, um, stayed pretty busy, pretty active. Um, really enjoyed myself growing up. So you did it at a party, you said, or is it something, a situation like that? Do you remember how it made you feel? How it made you, how it made you feel when you drank or just smoke? I forget. I didn't ask that. Yeah, uh, that was just smoking marijuana uh, at a party. And it was just, you know, kind of that happy, relaxed, giggly feeling, you know? Mm -hmm. Anything specific you remember about it? Was it it a good feeling or did you feel shame and guilt afterwards? No, I mean, it was a good feeling, but at that point in my life, it was a take it or leave it kind of thing. it wasn't a serious habit at that point. What kind of student were you in school? I was always a straight A student. Oh, so you did very good at school. Mm-hmm. And what age did you first take a drink? Probably 14. So it was earlier than the, than the marijuana? Yes. And that was the same situation, just kids being kids? Yeah, pretty much. So it just gave you a happy-go-lucky feeling? Yeah, just something different, you know? Yeah, I mean, I remember for me, it made me feel normal. It made me yeah. feel like I could relax for finally. Like, I don't know, it just made me yeah, feel normal. exactly. Like, I could, you know, I wasn't so stressed. I know at that young of an age, you think stress. How can you be stressed? But... It was just like I was always tense, you know. Mm-hmm, exactly, that's the exact word. You just finally relaxed. It felt like mm-hmm. wow, just a load off your shoulders, like good old fashioned saying. Yeah. So, what age did you say it became a problem? So that started in your early twenties. Um, let me see. Thirty-seven now. 
it's about my mid twenties. Um, and that was when I picked up methamphetamine habit. Um, and that got pretty serious pretty quick. And how did that all come about? You know, just somebody had it around. I'd never tried it and thought I'd try it. And boy, I just thought that was the best thing. And it just kind of snowballed from there. Was that the first hard drug you ever tried or were you open to, were you known to party? Um, no, i had done ecstasy a couple of times. I tried cocaine once. Um, but yeah, that's about, that's about it as far as the hard drugs go. Who was the first person you used the methamphetamines with? Um, I had a couple, a married couple friend uh, that lived fairly close to me and I was over at their house helping them move and we just, they had some and we just tried it. Did you smoke it? Yeah. How'd it make you feel? Extremely good, energized, like I could take on the world, you know? Yeah, I never did meth personally, but I did do a lot of both. What is it called? Oh, Adderall, which is it's an, yeah. it's an it's an amphetamine. Yeah, but I've heard people say they pretty they they could be somewhat similar in the effects. Somewhat, yeah. So, at what point did you? So, when you first started using, was it always with somebody? So, how how did your actual yeah. your your problem progress? How did it? It go? was always with somebody. You know, I always did it with somebody. Um, it wasn't. For about probably a year that I started doing it on my own. And what were you doing for a living at the time? Were you working at the time? No. So you had a lot of time to party. Yeah, absolutely. Too much free time. Idle hands with the devil's workshop. Yep. Yep. Absolutely is. The other saying, idle mind is the devil's playground. Same difference here. That yeah, that's what I remember. My mom telling me when I was younger. One of the interesting thing I learned about the Amish people is one of the reasons they're so kind of against um, coming getting to the new age is it doing their routine keeps them going nice and slow and steady, and it keeps your brain busy throughout the entire day. Yeah, they absolutely. Don't much, they don't have much downtime because they're always working. Absolutely, I I can totally relate. I'm a workaholic. <laughs> Yep, completely, completely random, but that's why they do it. Yeah. So what were your relationships like when you were younger? Um, boyfriends, girlfriends, friends, did you have? Like, I had um, my first love, I guess you'd say. I was with for about eight years. Um, we got together when I was 16. Um, after that, there wasn't anything real serious for a while. Um then once the drugs came into the picture, I got with somebody, you know, that had connections and, you know, could do things I couldn't do. Is that what you were looking for in a relationship? No, <laughs> that was just what I was looking for to get what I needed. You know, it was convenient. How long were you in that relationship? Eight years? Uh, no, no, no. That one lasted about a year and a half. By the year and a half. And that was just to get your drugs. 
basically. What was the relationship like? Was it a, I mean. You know, honestly, it was more like a friendship. I mean, that was basically it. We, you know, we used together. We hung out together. But, I mean, it didn't go much beyond that. So with um, the relationships, were you going from one to the next? Were you like when you were looking like and when you weren't with someone, were you looking for someone else who was also had access to drugs? No. I was still young at the time and I I wasn't on the hunt for anybody by any means. How did you get your own drugs then? Um. I pretty quickly got into selling and that's how I made my money and supported myself and got my drugs. Tell us more about selling. Um, I was never into it really big, just enough to support my habit and support my basic needs. Um, didn't move a whole lot of it, just minimal amounts, you know, to people I knew, people close around. Um, all the big stuff was handled by my supplier. So I was just a low person on the totem pole, I guess you'd say. What kind of weight were you selling? Um, you know, at the most, a couple of grams, maybe. Okay. I mean, not, not anything huge. Just, like I said, enough to support, to get what I needed, you know. How long did that go on for? Uh, about two years. At what age were you when you started selling the drugs? Let's see, 25, 26. So it's right when everything started. Then. That's right around the time you yeah. said that you're. Yeah, it was. I mean, it came along pretty quickly. Was that part of the thing that got you addicted so fast? But you had such good, uh, such quick access to it. Yeah, I mean, that that didn't hurt anything, you know. It's pretty readily available, so. And during this whole time, where were you living when you were, like, you know, it seems pretty young to be doing all this stuff with no mom or dad saying anything about it. Uh, I would just, you know, stay. We shared an apartment, and Who's that waiting? was the, my supplier. We shared an apartment, and... Now- how old were you when you lived with your supplier? It was about 26. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he he was a guy that I, you know, knew from way back. You know, I'd gone to school with. And so we just had ties already. So, you know, I guess it worked out for the both of us. <laughs> I yeah, guess you could more, say. Tell us more about the relationship with them. Uh, that wasn't anything beyond a friendship. Must have been a good friendship if you guys were living together. Yeah, I mean, we didn't share a bedroom or anything, but. I'm just saying, even just for people just living together, usually they've got a pretty solid bond. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, we we had known each other from back in school, so. We knew each other prior, so. 
we had, we already had an established friendship. So tell us a little bit more about when the drug use picked up. What what age would you say really started becoming? I mean, obviously it's always a problem, but when did it really hit you that it's a problem? Give us some details it, on that. It is, and it, you know, honestly, for that two two and a half years, it was a lot of blur. You know, um, it may have started about twenty four and went on till I was about twenty six, twenty seven, um, and that was the, pretty much the extent of it. Uh, fortunately but it was just all in you know I jumped in head first and never looked back so to speak I'd had I'd had I used to prior to that I worked as an EMT um and my partner on the ambulance uh was found dead from an overdose nobody knew he was using nothing like that and it was just a total shock to me and I'd never used hard drugs before that and he died at home mm-hmm. and he was your partner on the you were an EMT mm-hmm. and I think you know I guess it was a way to cope on down the road you know because it just kind of it was probably about a year year and a half after that 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 started Could be a scary I thing. left I left the EMS field when that happened. I just I couldn't bring myself to go back. And I guess, you know, growing up, I knew that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an EMT. I wanted to work on the ambulance. And I was kind of disillusioned, I guess. I was like, this is what I've wanted to do my whole life. Now what am I supposed to do? And I just I was lost, you know? And just went down the wrong road. That must be rough knowing someone that's pretty close to you like that, that dies from something that you're doing yourself. Yeah, I mean, I, you would think it would be the total opposite, that I wouldn't want to touch any kind of stuff like that. But I guess I was looking for comfort anywhere, you know? So it drove you into more drinking and drugs or more drugs. So were you ever drinking at all? No, not really. Just the, um, and he actually died of a heroin overdose. Um, It wasn't any methamphetamine or anything like that. So, Um, but no, it wasn't like excessive using of everything. It was just that came along and you know, that consumed my life, you know, that was all I cared about, I wanted to escape the feelings I had, I wanted to escape what I was going through, and that let me do it. Yeah, so a lot of us addicts are looking for is an escape. Absolutely. It must be rough living with someone that can get you what you want at any time also. I'm lucky. I was also, I never had like, any really close friends that supplied me with my stuff. I mean, I did, but it was easy to get away from them because they weren't, I guess, as good friends as I, as I thought. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so do you have any crazy stories or anything that you want to share as far as when during your abuse and those days? A lot of people have some types of stories they have. You know, I just, you know, my parents did intervene at, at one point, and I just remember them coming in a house that I was just staying in. It wasn't that apartment. My dad, two of my brothers, and a neighbor came in and literally picked me up and dragged me out kicking and screaming. And I didn't care. I didn't, I didn't want to go with them. I wanted to stay and do what I was doing. But they were determined they were going to get me away from it, no matter what it took. Uh, eventually, I did go back to it after that. Um, but it did, you know, that started the snowball effect of them really actively trying to get me out of that lifestyle. Once they took you out of that house, what did they do? Did they try to bring you to a rehab? No, they just... A lot. My close family sat down and pretty much gave me an ultimatum. You know, it's either the drugs or us. You know, and I walked out the door, walked away, and went back to it for a little while, um, until I got to the point I remember vividly, just sitting there crying and praying to God to to get me away from that life, to get me away. Like I, you know, walked away from my family, you know, alienated them. I was, you know, I was not in good health. I was making bad decisions. um, And I wanted to get away and I just cried and I prayed. Um, And I picked up the phone and called one of my best friends and said, can you come pick me up? And that was the beginning of getting sober for me. But I had to do it. I had to do it on my terms. You know, I wasn't going to do it till I was ready to walk away. Um, But that was the beginning, you know. Isn't that such a sad truth of us addicts is that we don't do anything until we're ready. And the, mm-hmm. this is the reason I say the sad truth is so many of us die before we're ready. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you is know, fortunately, I, I didn't, you know, I got lucky. You know, there were a lot of times I should have ended up dead in the ditch somewhere for some of the stupid things I did, some of the stupid decisions I made. Um, But God has a purpose, you know. And I definitely had people watching over me. (laughs) So when you say that was the beginning of your getting better, what did you do to get better? Did you go to rehab? Did you go to 28 this day? or I did not. I never went to rehab. Uh, She took me home with her. I left everything I owned in that apartment. Uh, Took a few clothes with me you know, um, and went to her house and detox pretty much. Um, and then went and stayed with another friend for a couple of weeks and, um, and then went back home to my parents.
And your parents took you back in, no questions asked? Yeah, they did. I was very lucky. So I understand that you are in the mental health profession now? Yes. So what do you do exactly? Um, I'm a mental health technician. Basically, we do observation rounds on all the patients. Um, we maintain the milieu, you know, the units. Um, basically, anything and everything our patients need, we take care of, um, aside from medications and stuff like that. Um, okay. Take them to meals, you know, get them showered and all that stuff. You know, just basically day-to-day stuff, you know, getting them to groups. Uh, things like that, just basically keeping them on schedule for the day and keeping them safe. Do you enjoy that? I love it. I absolutely love it. I I can't couldn't imagine doing anything else. Because um, we, you know, we are there for people in their most vulnerable time, and we get to lead by example, I guess. Um, we get to teach them, we get to help them. And for me, you know, I struggle with mental health. I've been, I've never been in a facility, but I've been through a lot of the stuff they're going through and I know exactly how they're feeling. And to be able to relate on that kind of level is amazing, you know, because not a lot of people, not everybody can relate to them on the level that I can't and it gives me a chance to use what I've been through to help somebody else you know the struggles I've had with it you know I can say hey you know this is what I found success with you know things like that just you know gives me a chance to tell my story on a daily basis and say hey don't do don't make the mistakes I did you know So how long in total were you actually on doing drugs? Was it, was it, how long would you say? Was it like a 10 year run or? No, like hard and heavy. It was only about two, two and a half years. Okay. Just short. I mean, all things considered. So do you think, um, I don't know if you know the difference. If you want, I can explain if you don't, but do you think you were a drug abuser or a drug addict? Both, <laughs> both, honestly. What happens is, so an abuser, this is what I've read in some of the textbooks, an abuser is someone that they use drugs. It's, a, it's They do everything an addict does, but when you give them a reason to quit, they quit. So an example of a drug abuser or an alcohol abuser is a college kid. He drinks every day in college, but the mm-hmm. second he gets out of college and he has a real job waiting for him, he's got to quit drinking, he just stops. So he's classified as an abuser. An alcoholic cannot stop. Right. Even when they are given a good reason, they don't stop and they can't stop. Right. So it sounds like you might have been given a reason and you, you stopped. Maybe you the, were in the, either, the only bad. The only reason I say addict is because when I look back growing up, my parents always had very high expectations for me and it was out of nothing but love. They wanted me to be successful. But my interpretation of that was I had to be perfect. I took it to the extreme. 
And so those behaviors were there long before drugs ever came into the picture. You know, go big or go home. And that's the way it was for me. Um, and just about everything I did. So you think the go big or go home mentality helped lead to your drug addiction? Is that what you're saying? I think it led to the behavior and why it got to the level it did so fast. Okay. Uh, you know, I found something I liked and I dove in head first, you know, and threw away anything and everything that mattered to me. I remember my mom sitting there crying telling me, you know, I don't believe in suicide, but I wish I was dead. So I didn't have to see you live like this. So. This must have been I don't know. Powerful words. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll, I'll never. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. Um. But, you know, it made an impact on me. While at the time, right then, right there, I didn't quit. But those words were never far from my mind. You know, that kind of set the ball rolling and things started weighing heavier on my mind about the decisions I was making and the people I was hurting and, and how bad I was hurting myself. So you said you had some suicidal thoughts? Um, at one point towards the end, I did, I never had like a plan to act on them or anything. I just thought, you know, I'd rather be dead than live like this. But you never put any plans into action. Thank goodness. No, I did not. So what did you do to actually get yourself sober was there a particular program you used did you go through a 12-step program did you go through- I did um I went to AA actually because NA in my town was not a very good program at the time so I went I went to AA um and just like my addiction I got into it jumped in head first hard and heavy you know lots of meetings working with sponsors you know doing everything I could. Um, you know, I did slip up a couple of times, but, you know, I always went right back to, to wanting to be sober. Um, what do you think led to your slips? I don't know. Honestly, that's something I guess I've never really thought about. I, I don't know if it was just, the familiarity of it, you know, that was what I'd known for the past few years. Or, you know, hey, maybe I can do it and it won't be as bad this time. But that was not the case. Um, familiarity is a big one. I remember one of the things I was saying, like, right before I was going to rehab was, part of my language, what the fuck am I going to do? Like, Drugs and alcohol have been part of my life for 20 years. It was like, well, what do I do on a Saturday night? 
what do I do before a movie? What do I do after a movie? What do I do before I go to bed? What do I do after I get up in the morning? Yeah. Everything that everything that was all about drugs and alcohol. Towards the yeah. end, I was literally getting up, and it's it's actually like I've heard the saying before: my feet hit the ground. It's true. Before my feet literally hit the ground, I would be pouring myself a glass of wine while I was still laying in bed and smoke a cigarette, and then start my day. I see, like alcohol, marijuana were always in and out of my life since my teen years. Um, but it never turned into an abusive kind of behavior. It was just, eh, you know, the marijuana was more because I could relax, you know, as before I got any on any kind of psychiatric medications uh, to deal with my depression and anxiety. Um, so that was always a take it or leave it kind of thing. Um, but methamphetamine was a whole different ballgame. I lived and breathed that. I mean, that was all I cared about. And you were self-sustaining. You were selling it to make the money to pay for everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you do to stay sober? Uh, I stay active in recovery groups online. I'm an admin for one on Facebook. Um, I stay pretty active in that. Um, I still read a lot of AA material, um, try to get to any resource I can, you know, outside of going to meetings because I'm a single mom and I work 50 to 60 hours a week. Uh, so I don't have a lot of time on my hands. Um, but to be honest with you, work gives me a chance to share my experience. We get a lot of detox patients in there and stuff like that and I get to use my experience to help them um and that I found to be is one of the most healing things that I could ever have in my life um, to be able to share my experience strength and hope with someone else who's suffering you know in hopes that it may help them um and that's I don't know. There's not, there's not any feeling like it in the world, you know, that I, you know, probably seven years into sobriety, I could never get rid of the guilt and the shame. I could never get past that. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't forgive myself for the mistakes I made. And about six months after I started working there, um, it finally hit me that I was helping people because of my experience. And because I was able to help people, I was able to let that go and forgive myself. Yeah, helping other people could be a big thing. Yeah, it's absolutely, it's huge. And also saying, get to share your story. Um, for some reason, that helps us stay sober. Absolutely. Reminds us of where we came from. Keeps us on our toes about what keeps us going. And not only do I get to share recovery, I get to share the mental health struggles I had as well. So, you know, it's an, it's an all-around win for me. That is where, you know, I remember it hit me one day. This is where I was meant to be, and this is what I was meant to do. It gives me purpose in my life. 
And I felt I I'd lost that purpose when I left EMS. I'd lost that purpose. It's a great feeling to have purpose. To feel like you have found your thing. No, absolutely. I mean, it's a hard job. It's a stressful job. It's a crazy job. You know, violence at, at times. I've been bit. I've been hit. You know, all kinds of things. But not too many things. But tell us about the time you got bit. What happened there? Um, we had to restrain a patient to give them medications and the person that was holding the upper part of the body didn't have a good enough hold and I was holding the legs and she got loose and just bent over and bit me right on the shoulder blade. Ooh. It hurt a lot. Oh, people don't realize how strong the human jaw is. You know, I don't, at the time, I didn't even know I got bit. You know, but we finally got the medications administered and I get up out of the floor and co-workers are like let me see let me see let me see your shoulder I'm like what are you talking about no like she bit you and I was like what uh fortunately she bit through my scrubs um she barely broke the skin but it she did bite hard enough it knocked her tooth off really it did it was a it was a crazy experience and I saw her a few days after that she had absolutely no memory of what happened that's another thing you gotta give uh people like you credit for is because you can't it's, it's actually part of the recovery program no resentments you can't you can't yeah. hang on to resentment especially in your field because a lot of people don't know what they're doing when they do it absolutely and the transformation that we get to see in these people from the time they come in to the time they leave is just absolutely amazing um you know not a hundred percent of the time but you know, for the most part, we see huge transformations in people and you see people get their life back, you know, people get their sanity back, literally. And it's just, there's not an experience like it in the world. What's like a good success story you've seen there? Um, I did have a patient had been coming to that hospital since he was a kid. They used to have a, a kids unit there. They don't anymore. Um, by the time I encountered him, he was an adult, and I'd seen him a couple times in there. We talked a lot um, about life, about recovery, about a lot of things, and um, I share a lot, a lot of my stories <laughs> with him. Um, and he told me, he said, "You know, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to make something of my life. I'm, I'm going to go to school. You know, I'm going to be somebody." And to this day, he's he's in school doing well and has not been back that's awesome yeah it's you know it's amazing to see people be able to overcome the obstacles that they have and you know know that they can manage that kind of stuff um that they don't have to suffer the rest of their lives yeah and people like you have to have that something extra inside of themselves because you're seeing people at their worst. I mean, like you Absolutely. said, I mean, for the love of God, you got bit. <laughs> that's that's not a fun experience. It's not. But, you know, it doesn't happen every day. And in two and a half years is the only time I've been bit, you know. It's just, you know, it comes with the job. I hate to say it, but, you know, I had a coworker clean up my shoulder and bandage it and went right back to work, you know. It's just it's just 
you know, I knew what I was getting into when I started working there. Um, but you, you know, we just have to keep in mind that they don't, most of the time don't even realize what they're doing. They're, they're not themselves. And, you know, we can't hold that against them. Yeah, I believe personally, I think mental health has so much more to do with addiction than people lead on. I think. Oh, absolutely. Um, they self-medicating. Exactly. This, I'm not sure if you've read him or seen any like TED Talks by him, but this, I've mentioned him a few times in my podcast, Gabor Mate. He believes everything's based on trauma. Mm-hmm. There's a level of trauma that you experience based on like you know, the level of cravings and the level of suffering you go through in life and things like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's a big deal. That's a big thing. It is. is. We see a lot of people self-medicating. And it's hard, you know, for for different reasons. No insurance, no money, you know, what, you know, all different reasons. Not that they want to, you know. Um, They're just trying to cope, you know. Like, I used to get high off them. I'm not going to lie. I would snort them, do whatever with the Adderalls. But then eventually... At the end, I wasn't abusing them. I actually, for some reason, I don't know what happened. I just became a main mainline drunk. That's all I did. Um, but I would still take those once or twice a day. But it was basically just as a doctor, I would prescribe. Right. It was literally just because I have ADHD. I mean, I won't, I won't take them nowadays, but I've got other medicines for that stuff. It's not narcotic, you know? Mm-hmm. They sure do. You know, mental health is its own beast and i think i think it gets overlooked a lot in in the people that struggle with addiction and i you know one thing you know i as a teenager suffered from depression and anxiety um but it wasn't until after the hard drug use that i was diagnosed as bipolar and that kind of stuff so and ptsd and, and stuff like that so uh, I think it definitely does. Drugs do mess. They mess with your brain, you know, and they do damage. I'm living. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm living yeah, absolutely. So again, towards the end here, did you have anything that you want anyone to know about you that I, maybe anything that I looked over, didn't ask and any kind of message you want to get out there? You know, there's always hope for anybody, anybody and everybody that wants it. I mean, like you said, it has to be us that wants it. Um, but I don't want people to feel like they're alone and they have to suffer alone. You know, uh, I want people to know that there's support out there. There's help. There's people. Um and it can be conquered, you know, it absolutely can be conquered. And, you know, it's going to be the hardest fight of your life, 100%. Um, but it's so worth it um, to not only get your life back, but, you know, like I said, find your purpose um, and start to build the kind of life you had always wanted. Unfortunately for me, um, my drug use came before marriage and children. Um, my daughter has never had to see me high. And I'm extremely grateful for that. Um, I know a lot of people who had kids present when that was going on. 
Yep. Thank God. Thank God. My daughter never had to see that. Um, but I just, you know, the biggest thing is I don't want people to ever lose hope, you know, because it's out there, you know, you got to want it, but it's out there. Um, and it's, it's so worth it. It's my life is blessed beyond belief. Better than I could have ever imagined. Better than my wildest dreams, you know. And addiction and recovery are a huge part of that. Um, those bad parts of my life help make me who I am today. You know, they shape the person I am today. Um, and without them, I wouldn't be the same. That's a good message. Yeah, hope is a huge thing. It's definitely something you don't want to lose. And it's good to let other people know that there is hope out there. Because I felt hopeless, you know, that time I was crying and praying to God. I felt hopeless, absolutely hopeless. I thought I'm not going to make it out of this. And something told me to pick up the phone and call somebody, and I did. That's when the table started to turn, but being hopeless is one of the worst feelings in the world. You feel like you're the only person on the face of the earth and there's no light at the end of the tunnel. It's nothing but darkness for the rest of your life. You're isolated, you're lonely and cut off from the entire world. And I think that's, you know, what finally got to I had to hit that bottom to really realize what I had done in my life. And it wasn't a life anymore. It was an existence. It's a great way of putting it. That's a great way of putting it. It's no longer a life. It's just an existence. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on today. I really appreciate you coming on, Ashley. Um, Thank you. No, it was, it was really awesome speaking with you. Thank you for, for the opportunity. My, yeah, absolutely. And um, my little sales pitch here is, so if you like what you heard, please go below and click subscribe. Also, give us a like. You can check us out on our Facebook page. We have a Facebook group on the page. If you go into the events tab, you'll see all the Zoom meetings we have available. Um this is going to be available on YouTube, Spotify, Patreon, iPodcasts. Um, also go to iTunes and give us a rating there as well. Um, that's all I got for today. I want to thank Ashley again. And until next time.